You know, we want to take a moment this morning. We come to the end of our series studying the prophet Daniel. And so what I'd like to do is just sort of rerun some old tape here in case you haven't been here. I just want to share with you what we've learned from the life of Daniel. And remember, we've not really studied the book of Daniel as much as we've studied the life of Daniel. But we look back so that we can learn some valuable Lessons. I'll tell you one that um, I learned just yesterday, uh, just to open with a, a bit of levity. Kristen's been out of town. She was at a conference, so um, I was doing all the things. And I, here, here's the deal. Like, I was feeding children. I was cleaning things. And oh, my goodness gracious. Like, I did 47 loads of dishes over the last two days. I don't know why we can't just reuse the dirty dishes instead of having to wash them. We're just going to have to wash them all over again. That's what's going through my mind. I did laundry. I swept. I vacuumed. I was very domesticated over the weekend. Um, and I, you know, here's where I, when I felt silly, okay, is when I felt like I had done such a big thing, like I have I did, I did all these things, and then it hit me. These are all the things that she does every day. Like, I mean, just, you're Wonder Woman. I mean, you really are. But that's not, the, that's not the funny part. Yesterday, we also, Kristen decided back in the spring would be a good time to get chickens. And so we, we have a flock of chickens. And we actually, some of you know this, we got the chickens before we even had a chicken house. And so we sort of backed into this deal. Um, Kristen went to, she looks at me one morning, she goes, tractor supply has chickens. I'm going to get chickens. I said, okay. So she came, she was supposed to come home with 10 chickens. We came home with how many? A lot more than 10. It was like 20 and we don't have 20 anymore. Um, but we have these chickens and I built a chicken house and a chicken run. And here's, here's, here's the lesson in all of this. Okay. And so it's rained a lot the last couple of days, and it was my job to take care of the chickens while she's gone. Kinley loves to help with that as well, but I'm the only one that, that can really carry the big bucket of water, and I needed to refill their water. And so I was being lazy, and I didn't feel like putting on my boots. I didn't put on my big boots, so I put on just a grubby pair of tennis shoes. You know where this is going. And I walked into the chicken run, and I hit what I hope was mud. <laughs> Some of it was mud. And I'm when I tell you my feet went higher than my head, I just want you to have this image in your head for the next 30 minutes while I'm preaching. Like, I mean, my feet went higher than my head, and I, I landed on my shoulder and my head. Like it was impressive. Like the acrobatic fall that took place. The bucket goes this way. Like chickens are running in fear. Like they don't know what's happening. They just see me rolling around where they poop every day. And I went inside, I felt, I never felt so nasty in my life. There's the point. The point is we need to learn, okay? And I should have learned to put on my boots. Now, that's a terrible intro into the book of Daniel, but I just wanted to open up with a funny story, so there we have it, okay. So what have we learned, though, about the book of Daniel? And I'm just gonna go through the last couple of weeks with you really, really briefly. The first thing that we saw in the life of Daniel was we're called to influence our enemies. 
And when we said enemy, we, we didn't mean somebody that's really our adversary, that's our mortal enemy that we're against. Um, we're, we're, as a church, we're not called to create adversaries. Uh, we know that if we live for Jesus, according to Jesus, Jesus said, hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Okay, so we don't have to go looking for a fight. Too many Christians do that. All right, we just need to live for Jesus. And guess what? We're going to deal with conflict in the world because the world doesn't know or understand the love of Christ. You with me? That's what we sort of learned. That one of the first lessons we learned from Daniel is we're called to influence people who are against Jesus. We don't have to add fuel to their hatred by acting like jerks. All right, Daniel didn't. Daniel was a kind, winsome man with boldness in his bones who did not bend or back down, but he always did so treating people with grace and dignity because he saw people as created in the image of God and they had dignity whether they acted like they had dignity or not. And what we, we sort of said was, was this, that you have heard it said, Jesus put it this way, you have heard it said, love your neighbor Right, and then our culture today says, "Hate your enemy." Or you have heard it would be said this way today: "You have heard it said, make sure you win the argument." Or you have heard it said, "Don't back down from an argument." You have heard it said, "Love those who think like you, vote like you, dress like you." That's the way we interpret that today. You have heard it said. Love those who agree with you. You have heard it said, love those who are easy to get along with, those who have the same values. We looked at the life of Daniel, and Daniel just loved people and sought to influence them for the glory of King Jesus, for the glory of God. Jesus calls us to love everyone, those like us and those not like us. We do that by cultivating goodness in our relationships and in our community. We seek the good of Douglas County and Douglas. I'm so, so proud of the things that, that Wally and then Marley on the screen a few moments ago was able to share about the places that we are seeking to infiltrate with the gospel in this community. I'm so proud of this church for being active in Douglasville. We want to seek the good of Douglas County and Douglasville. We want to be a force for goodness, for justice, and for restoration. We want to seek to influence those who have not yet come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That was the first lesson. The second lesson was similar, but we're called to invest in other exiles. We see this in the life of Daniel, like he invested in those around him. Daniel, you'll remember, was kidnapped from Jerusalem. He was a part of the royal family there, probably had a very, very privileged life. And so to be kidnapped from his home, everything he knew, and then to be exiled into the land of Babylon many, many miles away. And we saw that Daniel did this a couple different ways. Number one, he found his people, which were other exiles. He found a people that, that were headed in the same direction, that were worshiping the same God. Right, we read in the scriptures in Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who we've come to know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. It's just a rabbit trail here. But what's really interesting, when you read the book of Daniel and you read these young men's names, almost every time when they're referring to each other, they still go by their Hebrew names. They didn't forget their identity, even though they were exiled in a foreign place. Which is a great lesson for us. That as followers of King Jesus, even though we live in a culture that is far from God, we must not forget our identity as daughters and sons of the King of Kings. So we invest in other exiles. We do this by building relationships with one another. These four men especially found each other, supported each other, invested in each other. And at some point along the way, maybe they were already friends. They may have even been related. But at some point along the way, they became their, their, their community group. They became thicker than blood. They became friends who lifted one another up before the Father, friends who they turned to in difficult times. So we need to, we need to find some other exiles that we can relate to, that we can serve and that can serve us. We need to build relationships with them. And then we need to disciple each other. That's one of the lessons that we learned from Daniel, that, that whoever walks with the wise, according to the wisdom writer, becomes what? Now say that like you believe it. Whoever walks with the wise will become, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We see this implemented in the life of Daniel. Daniel walked with other wise people that were influencing him. And we, we have to believe, because the scriptures tell us this, teach us this principle, that Daniel's journey to wisdom was aided by being surrounded by and influenced by other wise men. And so was theirs. The, the, the next week we looked at that we should be leaders worth following. That, that a leader is not just somebody who's in charge of an organization. A leader is not necessarily a teacher or a principal or a superintendent. Those are leaders, of course. A leader doesn't have to be a business owner. A leader doesn't have to be uh, somebody that's out front. A leader simply means somebody that uses their relationship to influence other people. And in that way, every one of us are called to be a leader because we're all called to influence one another. And Daniel did that, first of all, because he was focused on people. Daniel, as a man of conviction, could have come across high and mighty. He could have come across as if he was a better than the Babylonian people who were around him. He could have looked down on other people who did not share his moral compass. He could have berated and criticized. But time and time again, we see Daniel treating those he disagreed with with great dignity. He focused on people more than he focused on task. But he never lost sight of the task that he was given. The next thing we saw about Daniel as a leader was that he was wisdom trained. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Being trained by wisdom means that we're learning the lessons that God is teaching us 
And we're sharing those same lessons with other people. That's why being people-focused has to be foundational in our lives. It's hard to be trained by wisdom if we're not sharing what we're learning with those around us. If we're not people-focused on being wisdom-led, and we won't have people to influence in our lives. And then finally, we talked about being spirit-led. Being spirit-led as an influencer, as a leader. Daniel, as a man, demonstrated total dependence. In fact, if there's one thing that we can say about the life of Daniel that, that really sums him up, every lesson from chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book, the one commonality through every chapter is Daniel, as a man, was totally and utterly dependent on God. Totally and utterly dependent on God. So we need to be spirit-led. That's what we were reminded of as we looked at that. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And then we're called to live with integrity. That's what we talked about last week. We're called to live with integrity. The difference between a life of integrity or wholeness as we a wholeness of life is the way we sort of reference this. It, it, we talked about how that, that's not based on self-determination. Remember, we said it's not it's not because you have a strong will. It's not because you're super talented. It's not because you are able to perform at a high level. It's not the ability, we said, to push through difficult or challenging circumstances. And it wasn't even accountability that would give you wholeness of life. That the difference was so simple that we talked about, but it, comes from, it doesn't come from obeying rules. Rather, Jesus said it comes from the overflow of what's in our heart. In other words, you want to have a wholeness of life. We sang a few moments ago, and I loved it. There's joy. Man, there's joy in the house of the Lord. And you want to be a person that has joy in your life? Joy cannot be manufactured. And you can fake happiness. And every single one of us does every time a family photo is taken. Some of you are so good at it. And then me and one of my kids, I won't say which one, Asher... We're terrible at family photos. Smile for the camera and ask you and like, we're bo- oh, we just, I, we can't fake it, can we, dude? Some of you can fake happiness, you can't fake joy. Joy comes from a wholeness of life. It's the thing that bubbles up. Some of you don't have any joy. There's nothing bubbling up but bitterness. And anger. Only, only God can do this. It's what's on the inside coming out. See, ministry then, whether it's the ministry of being a father, it's the ministry of motherhood, it's the ministry of marriage, it's the ministry of, of teaching children, it's the ministry of teaching in a Sunday school class, the ministry of, uh, of serving, greeting, and hospitality, whatever the ministry is, ministry is supposed to be of this overflow of what God has done inside us, bubbling up and out and over. You see, you can't manufacture that. 
Integrity or wholeness of life follows a heart of faith. See, some of these things we have to believe our way into. And joy is one of those. Do you know that? You have to believe your way into joy. It's only, it's only, only God can do that, but you have to accept that and believe that, that God can give me joy. Because all of us can look around the room and say, I've got every reason not to have joy. My life's been terrible and hard and rotten and I've experienced loss and hard things. Joy is a work of faith and a good father that he can restore good things to your life. That's the wholeness of life. And as important as those things are, listen to me, I believe the most important lessons in Daniel don't really have anything to do with the prophet Daniel. In fact, they don't have anything to do with us either, but we can learn from them. The most important lessons in Daniel are about God. And there's two that I want you to see this morning as we come to a close in this series. A.W. Tozer, a brilliant author and, and pastor, remarked in his book, The Pursuit of God. He said, what comes into your mind. Actually, do this. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. We're not praying right now. Think about God. Think about God. Okay, you can open your eyes. Tozer, I think brilliantly, almost prophetically said that the most important thing about you is what came into your mind when you thought about God. It's what you think of him, what you think about him. Well, what do we learn about God from the book of Daniel? There's a lot of things. There's two that I want to highlight for us this morning. Number one is this, that he hears us when we pray. That he hears us when we pray. If you want to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, we're going to look there. The second half of the book of Daniel, we really leaned heavily in this series on the first six chapters, which are the narrative portions. They're the story portions of the book of Daniel. And in fact, the second half of Daniel is fascinating, but it's very different than the first half. It would be like buying a ticket to a movie. And let's just say you're going on a date to a movie, and so you buy a ticket to a new rom-com that's come out, whether that's your thing or not. If it's not, just go with me. There's a new romantic comedy coming out. You buy a ticket, you take your date, you sit down, you watch the previews, which are my favorite part of the movie, and the movie comes on, and for the first 45, 50 minutes of the movie, it's, it's laughter, it's falling in love, it's a rom-com, it's, it's great. But the midway point of the movie, something happens, and it just becomes a totally different movie. Different cast even. Different genre. We went from a rom-com to like a horror movie. It'd be that jar That's how jarring the book of Daniel is. Just as you're settling in and be like, these are great lessons and great stories. All of a sudden, we move from great stories about God's faithfulness to apocalyptic visions of the future. So buckle your seatbelts. If you read the second half of Daniel, which I would encourage you to do, they're very, very important. But we've looked at the first half. But the second half, the way it changes is enough to give a person 
theological whiplash. And there's some fascinating stuff here, but it's the pattern that I really want to point out to you. In this section of Daniel, you find three common elements. You'll find visions, you'll find prayer, and you will find interpretation of those visions. But it's the prayer I want to draw your attention to this morning. Look at Daniel chapter 10. Look at verse 11 with me. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. We started with that, this whole series, that the most important thing about Daniel was that he was loved by God. O man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, watch this, this is amazing. This should encourage every single person in the room. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been, what's the word there? Your words have been heard. Who are we talking about here? Are we talking about another angel? Another angel? Here's Daniel's Daniel's verse. He's talking about the person in the the next room. Is that who, who heard the words? No. Because because he says, look, fear not from the time you you prayed to your God, and your God has heard your words. And I have come because of your words. Friends, how would you pray? How would you pray if you actually really believed that the God of the universe leaned in when you prayed? How would it shape your conversations in the secret place if you really believed he was eager to hear from you? How would what we pray change if we actually really trusted this passage that God actually hears? When we pray, I'm not, look, I'm not saying this judgy, I'm as guilty as this, maybe more guilty. But a lot of times I, I, I don't think about this. A lot of times I pray through my prayer list, but I have to remind myself that prayer is not about a list. That prayer is about having the ear of Almighty God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I have prayer is not about talking to God as much as it is about communion with God. But what would you say if you really believe that he's right there and he's leaned in and he's listening? If you believed in the core of your being that almighty God was tuned into your life, your voice, your circumstances, your family, your relationships, your situation, your cares, your heart, your children, your marriage, your career, your anxiety, your stresses, your physical illness, your mental health illness, your needs. How would you pray if you really felt like God was tuned into those things. God was dialed into Daniel. Why? Because God had a relationship with Daniel. 
And God hears your prayers too. When you pray, God hears you. But there is something more. I want you to see this. This is key for us. If you want to feel like God hears you, which is a different thing than God hearing you. God hears you when you pray. But if you want to feel like God hears you, if you want to, if you want to feel more able to trust that God hears you, then could I commend you to do what Daniel did? What did Daniel do? He set his heart to understand, and he humbled himself. So first of all, pray like you really believe God is listening to you. That's the first lesson here about pray. Pray, pray like you really believe. I mean, first of all, just pray. First of all, just pray. No matter how you pray, just pray. Just talk to God. But as you grow in prayer, believe that he's really listening, that he really hears you. When you're praying for your wayward children or grandchildren, he's listening. When you pray for a fractured marriage, he's hearing you. When you pray for deliverance from addiction, he is not putting up a wall. He hears you. So, so believe that he hears you. Believe that he is listening. And then, and then next, pray humbly. What does that mean? Set your heart to understand. That phrase is, is so key here. We don't pray because we need to inform God of our situation, do we? Not one time in the history of anything has God ever been caught off guard or surprised. So you've never gone to him in prayer and said, God, you will never believe what happened to me today. And, he, and he's, he's saying, well, what? Like, I can't wait to hear. Now, now he is. I can't wait to hear because he can't wait to hear from you. But it's not because he doesn't have the answer. He's not been surprised. So we don't go to God because we're informing him of something. So there must be some other reason we're encouraged to pray. And it's perfectly described, better here than maybe anywhere else in Scripture, that Daniel is humble and he has set his heart to understand what God is doing and what God values. And you know what? God reveals his heart and his plans to Daniel. You want to feel like God hears you? Set your heart to understand what is important to him. That's what Daniel did. He dialed into the language God was speaking. He dialed into the heart of God. And then all of a sudden, Daniel knows beyond a shadow of a day. And I'm not saying an angel is going to show up in your prayer closet the way it did in Daniel's. But there's much to learn here from the, the words of this angel, this messenger to Daniel. You set your heart to understand, and you humbled yourself before God, and God is revealing his heart to you. So that's the first thing I want you to know today. The life of Daniel teaches us, and we see it all throughout the book of Daniel, through the life of Daniel, that God hears you when you pray. He is tuned into you, so it only makes sense for you to tune your life into him. And here's the second thing that's so important for us today as we wind this series down on the person, the prophet of Daniel. God is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over everything. Vernon, you said it this morning before you guys led us in that grace. He is sovereign over all throughout Daniel, especially Daniel chapters 4 and 5. We see God's sovereignty over global affairs. Nebuchadnezzar declares that all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. That's Daniel chapter 4 verse 35. 
The sovereignty of God was such a comfort for God's people in Daniel's day who were living in exile that when Daniel and his friends looked around at the world they were living in and they no longer recognized it, they didn't recognize the value, they didn't recognize the culture, they didn't recognize the traditions, and the sovereignty of God was what they trusted in and gave them comfort. In Daniel, we see God standing over the affairs of the entire world, even above the most evil rulers of his day. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in charge. You remember this? The book of Daniel shows us that Nebuchadnezzar was never in charge. Each new king that came in after Nebuchadnezzar puffed out his chest, took the throne, said, I'm the man. I have authority and power. I do as I please. And you know what? Even today, the actions of arrogant men and women can have a profound effect on our lives, just as they did in Daniel's day. And it's easy when things are rough to believe that evil is going to prevail. And if you keep your eyes on the culture, it would be easy to believe that evil is going to triumph. But Daniel challenges us. He teaches us. He shows us that if you set yourself against Almighty God, you will not triumph. You will be humbled, just as Nebuchadnezzar was. And just as the king who followed him was. God and God alone is sovereign over everything. And we can conclude, really, that the main message of Daniel is that God is sovereign over everything. The main idea of Daniel. And this is how those two sections of Daniel that could seem disjointed, this is how they're tied together. The sovereignty of God over our story, but over the future. Do you see it? The first six chapters are all about what Daniel had been through. The next six chapters are all about what we're going to go through. And standing Lord over all of it is one who is sovereign. He does and will continue to work all things toward the establishing of his kingdom over All and specifically for his people. The sovereignty of God can be seen from the very onset of the book. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, but it was only God who was sovereignly at work because it then immediately states, and the Lord handed the king of Judah, over to him. This should give us confidence and reassurance that God is not only sovereign over history, but God is sovereign over your life too. Like Psalm 103.19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Next, you see God's sovereignty in his judgments over King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar in chapters 4 and 5. We see a sovereign protection over his people in chapters 3 and 6 during two different kingdoms. The Babylonian kingdom led by Nebuchadnezzar and the Medo-Persian kingdom led by Darius. One's a fiery furnace and one's a lion's den. And, and, And no matter what, here's what we firmly believe and teach here at Central. No matter what hard circumstances happen in your life, and I'll go even further, no matter how you got into those hard circumstances, 
And what, what do we mean by that? Raise your hand if you've gone through something. In fact, raise your hand if you're experiencing a difficult, a challenging circumstance right now. Everybody. I want to hang out with the rest of you. Like, there's four of you that aren't. Everybody in the room. Pretty much, I got a challenge right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to this, but internally, I I do want to ask you. How many would, I want you to think about this, how many of you would say that, that circumstance is a challenge of your own making. She made a dumb decision, made a sinful decision. How many of you would say, well, it's, it's not something I've done. Somebody else did something, and I'm living with the effect of that. Some of us would say, it's not what I've done. It's not what somebody else has done. It's just the brokenness of the world we live in. Here's what I want to say to you with the authority of God's word. It doesn't matter how you got in the spot that you're in. God can still use it for your good and his glory. No matter what spot you find yourself in, no matter if it was your own doing, no matter if it was somebody else's, no matter if it was just the brokenness of the world that you live in, we believe that the sovereignty of God means that God can still make beauty from ashes. So no matter what spot you find yourself in, God can still do something in your life. He can use whatever mess you find yourself in for your actual good. So even in the midst of trouble, God causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When difficulty arises, the question you need to pursue is not, God, why is this happening to me? But God, how can you use this for good in my life? God, what can you do through this circumstance? Daniel begins with a narrative of a young man who was exiled in the Babylonian and later the Persian kingdom. We also read of his three young friends who were thrown into fiery furnace but miraculously escaped. Uh, The narratives give us a picture of what it means to live as an exile. It's a model for believers today who are living in a world where we constantly have to be reminded that this is not our forever home. But then in chapter 7, as the book turns to these apocalyptic visions, the visions talk about the immediate future of Babylon and Persia, but it also talks about the immediate future of God's chosen people, Israel. But much, much more than that, these visions stretch all the way into the end of days. Flip back to Daniel chapter 7, and here's where we'll end our time together. It's the last passage I'll have you turn to today. Daniel chapter 7. Just be encouraged by these words. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Like, I just, I get goosebumps just reading that. The Ancient of Days took his seat. That just sounds like somebody who has authority. The Ancient of Days has taken his seat. Thrones were placed, but the Ancient of Days has now taken his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head like pure wool. His throne, this is crazy. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. This is a man with authority. Thousands 
A thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before the ancient of days who is seated on fire. The court sat in judgment, and then the books were opened, the Bible tells us, verse 11. Then I looked, then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, we don't even have to go into all these visions. We don't have time for that today, obviously. But when you read about a beast in the Bible, what you can say is, this is not a good thing. This is an enemy. This is, this is a villain. But what verse 11 says is, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the villain, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And it is a reminder to us. That no matter how dark these days might seem, no matter how dark these days might be, God has not abandoned you in this world. And God not, has not abandoned his world. God is not done. God is still doing things. No matter how intense the persecution, God has not forgotten about you. No matter how painful the moment may be, the moment does not get to have the last word in your life. That the battle rages and it may appear that all is lost, but all is not lost. Because the final victory belongs to one who is called the Ancient of Days. And when he speaks, things happen. At first glance, it seems that the book of Daniel is two different books. It may seem as though they're unrelated, but the truth is this, that the prophecies and the apocalyptic visions in the second half of the book fuels the whole narrative. You can face a fiery furnace. So what's your fiery furnace? You can face a pit full of lions. What's your pit full of lions? Why? Because we know it's not the end of the story. I've shared this quote with you before. It's my favorite quote. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It has to be. The end of the story sees a king called the Ancient of Days redeeming and restoring all things. Beloved, here's what that means. When we say he is redeeming and restoring all things, that doesn't just mean these giant movements of history, these kingdoms of Babylonians and Persians and Greeks and Romans and, and Americans and, and China and Russia. That's not, a, that's not all it means. It does mean that, but it means he's also redeeming and restoring every single moment, every single pain, every single tear. Your story. That the Ancient of Days not only sees all of history at once, but he sees you too. He sees you where you sit today. He sees what is in your heart in this moment. The things you've tried to keep hidden from everyone else. And the pain that just seems to break out of every crack in your life. He sees it all, and that should give us both great fear and great encouragement. Great fear because nothing is hidden from the Ancient of Days. Nothing is hidden from him. And great encouragement because nothing is hidden from him. And you are not lost to him. The end of the story does see a king 
restoring all things. And we see in Daniel that God is sovereign over history. He is able to intervene in the life of Daniel. We see it time and time again. He knows the future and is able to direct the hearts of kings. And he is present in your life as well. If you're taking notes, here's the one. I'm going to give you three sentences that I would write down that, that I believe sum up perfectly the life of Daniel. Number one, God is wise enough to know what is going to happen before it happens. God is wise enough to know what's going to happen before it happens. That's what the second half of Daniel teaches us. God knows what's coming. He understands it. He sees it all at once. He is not caught off guard. He is never surprised. He is wise enough to know what happens before it happens. Number two, he is strong enough to be in control of it. You see that in the life of Daniel. You see that for three Hebrew boys who were in a fiery furnace. And there was one like the son of the gods who was in there with him. We see that in the lion's den. God is strong enough to be in control. Smart enough and wise enough to know what's going to happen before it happens. He's strong enough to be in control while it's happening. And finally, and maybe most importantly, he is good enough to be trusted. He is good enough to be trusted. God's good. He's good enough to be trusted with every intimate detail of your life. So as we come to a close this morning, here's the question for all of us. How can you actively trust God more than you have been? That's what he desires from you. He desires all of your trust. All of it. Every ounce of it. And probably all of us have something that we're holding back from him. I don't know. There's some of us in the room this morning. Here's what that step would look like. I'm just going to go ahead and tell it to you. There's some of us in the room, or maybe some of us online this morning, that to actively trust God more than we have been would be to trust him with my story. To put a stake in the ground and say, this ancient of days, who, by the way, his name in the New Testament revealed is Yeshua, Jesus. He is a God deserving of your following. And for some of us today, we need to put a stake in the ground and say, yes, I will follow him. I will give my life to him. I believe this ancient of days left the glory of heaven to come and bear the burden of the sin that I've committed, this this cosmic treason that I've committed. That he died for me, the ancient of days died for me, that I might live with him in eternity. Some of you this morning need to trust in that for the very first time. Some of you this morning, from the midst of all the pain you're surrounded by, need to reach out and say, God, save me. For some of us, that's the step. For others of us in the room, maybe we've walked with Jesus for a quick minute. Maybe it's been decades. So here's the question. How can you trust God actively more than you are? What is it you can give to him? What is the burden that you can give to him and trust him with? What is that person's name? What is that situation's name in your life? As we come to just this this time of, really it's a time of commitment. 
I'm going to ask you, if you're in this room this morning and you have never trusted Jesus, and this morning something just clicked, maybe for the first time, you say, I I want to trust Jesus today. I'm just going to ask you, our pastors will be standing down front. Just come grab somebody. We just want to pray with you. I just want to introduce you to this Jesus who has been so good to us. But if there's an area in your life also that you're a Christian, you just need to come and I just need to ask for the the faith to trust him more. And that's what this time's for. Let's just get on our faces before the Lord and pray, God, will you relieve me of the burden in my life? Will you teach me what it looks like to trust you with the pain, the circumstance, believing that you can make good from it, but I don't know how. And I don't know how to let go of it. And so maybe this moment is just coming before him and saying, I place it in your hands. Will you pray with me? You guys come and lead us in worship in a moment. I'm just going to ask everybody in the room while your eyes are closed, will you just stand up with me? Will you just stand up while you have your eyes closed, while we pray? I want to do that for this reason, because when we say amen, if even right now as, as I'm speaking, you just know the Lord is nudging you either to come get on your face to pray or the Lord is nudging you and say, you need to go talk to one of those pastors about what I'm saying to you now. I don't I want to remove any barrier for you. Because I can tell you, if you're sitting in the middle of a row, nobody's going to care if you nudge past them to get out. You need to pray, come pray. You need to speak to somebody because you need life this morning. Don't let that first step prevent you from doing that. So when I say amen, you just respond however the Lord puts on your heart. Heavenly Father, we do say to you, we love you. We do say to you this morning that we look over the life of Daniel and we see that you are a God who hears us when we cry out. You are a God who listens when we pray. You are a God who is sovereign over all the very ancient of days, full of authority and power and goodness, and we know you are redeeming and restoring all things. So for some of us this morning, we're asking this morning for life, for the miracle of new life to take place in us. And for others of us this morning, we've been carrying heavy burdens for far too long. And Lord, we need your help in laying them down. But we do believe that is your best for us. And so Holy Spirit, continue to move in our lives and speak to us and through us. We love you in the good and in the beautiful name of King Jesus, we pray. And God's people said together, amen. As we sing.